Welcome to Street Talk, S&P Global Market Intelligence podcast that offers listeners a deep dive into issues facing financial institutions and the investment community. Hi, I'm Nathan Stovall, Senior Research Analyst at S&P Global Market Intelligence, and today we're talking with Tom Michaud, President and CEO at Keith Bread and Woods, about bank stocks and where they're trading in the current environment. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Nathan. Good to be here. Well, Tom, you know, I wanted to start off kind of where where the group is today. So if you wind back the clock to to pre-election, you know, we had a huge run-up on so-called Trump bump. We were going to get regulatory reform, tax relief, higher rates, all leading to better economic growth. And so we saw not only stock prices run, but considerable multiple expansion. Now we're kind of we've kind of treaded water here uh, since since coming off of the peaks in March. You know, where where is the group trading now from a valuation perspective? It's interesting, Nathan. The stocks are not too far on a PE basis where they were trading before the election. And if you look at the stocks on a longer-term basis and you look at the relative multiple to the market, they're actually trading cheaper to the market than is typically the case. So if you look at P.E. ratios uh, for the Keefe Regional Bank Index and the, and the Keefe Bank Index, which is for the 24 largest banks, uh, they're trading right now for the regional bank at 15.8 times and 13.7 times uh, versus uh, 15.3 and 12.6 on the day of the election. So as you can see, and the regional banks are a little bit more expensive than the universal banks, so you can see that they're not too dissimilar. And if you look at the relative PE multiple, typically regional banks trade at a 9% discount to the overall S&P 500. Today, they're at a 13%. And the big universal banks trade at a 24% discount when typically they trade at a 14% discount. So it's interesting. A lot of the investor enthusiasm seems to have come out of the stocks. uh, And this is the enthusiasm that was built in after the election. So it seems like, you know, in your mind, valuations are are justified, and we've been here before. I, I guess maybe, you know, why why do you think we we kind of have this discount uh, relative to to where we've been historically, relative to the broader market? Well, I think the the most recent drivers for bank stocks, I believe, has been what's happened with interest rates. Uh, two things. One is I think rates aren't as high as investors might have thought right after the election. And number two is the steepness of the yield curve. Uh, the yield curve has turned out to be much flatter uh, than investors had thought at the beginning of the year. Uh, my own opinion is that this focus on the shape of the yield curve and the absolute rate of interest rates has probably gone too far, and that if you look at the actual operating results for the banks, the banks do look uh, attractive relative to their historic position to the market. Right, right. And and, and while we've had you know the 10-year come off of uh, the mid-March peaks, we're still on a higher uh, relative value uh, than we were most of, of last year. Um, I, the, the curve has flattened a little bit, that, that's for sure. But a lot, you know, a lot of the, the work we do show that a lot of these guys have tried to prepare their balance sheets for higher rates. Uh, um, so they've gotten some benefit from the short end coming up. And we haven't seen 
much in the way of increases in, in funding costs yet. So, I mean, from a fundamental standpoint, it, it, I agree with you. It does look like it's better. You know, we should take a look at what we do have, okay? And I think rather than what we don't have, because the market's been focused on the fact that we don't have a very steep yield curve. What we do have is this margin in, in KBW's opinion that is inflecting in 2017. And I think with the absolute level of rates and the shape of the yield curve, we'll be discussing it how fast net interest margins improve, not whether or not they will improve. I think it might be a slow grind from here, but we still do have 2% GDP growth. We still do have reasonable loan growth in, in the regional banks. Um, and so we are still forecasting double-digit earnings per share growth this year. Uh, the, the stock market overall is about 10% earnings per share growth. Uh, I think that's a good enough operating environment that bank stocks shouldn't be trading at a cheaper relative multiple than they typically do. So where on, on the positive side, you know, where are investors assigning greater value today? Uh, you know, you said that they were probably overly focused on rates uh, right now. Uh, do we have some, some, some banks that are breaking out and to the upside? And, and if so, uh, what are they doing or what do the investors think they're doing differently? Well, I, I wish we were in a position to be talking about a whole host of banks that are breaking out on the upside right now, but I think that the overall dynamics of the group have been so strong that even the relative better performers have still seen some pressure and they're off their March 1st highs. Uh, but I'll tell you what investors uh, are looking for is they're looking for banks that are maybe a little bit more exposed to the shorter end of the curve rather than the, the longer end of the curve. Uh, they're focused on banks that have not gotten to a 100% loan-to-deposit ratio. And the focus on deposit betas and core funding, I think, is probably about as strong as I've seen it in, in some time. And investors continue to shy away from some of the regulatory hotspots being commercial real estate exposure or banks that are getting closer to the 10 and $50 billion threshold. Um, as banks approach those thresholds, investors become more curious as to what the bank's plans may be to cross those thresholds. So picking up on that loan to deposit comment, are people, are investors focused on that? Because the idea, if, if you've leveraged your liquidity, then you're going to be the most rate sensitive on the funding side. Is that sort of the thought process they have there? Exactly. It's all about the fact that the banking market still is very competitive, very, very competitive. And the question is how much of this rate increase are you going to be able to keep for the bank versus how much of it are you going to have to put back into the market? Uh, and then also, too, we believe that over time, uh, the regulators are going to become more interested in core funding. So we think that the, that the marketplace for, for core deposits is going to become a little bit tighter as we go forward, and the banks that have strong deposit networks uh, we think are going to be better rewarded. And those deposit net networks could be retail or commercial deposits. Do you think investors are rewarding deposit franchises enough right now? I mean, I feel like, you know, we've seen some changes maybe in, in deposit premiums, but but not a lot. I hear, you know, investors are looking for it, right? But are, are they really being, are the really great deposit franchises being rewarded right now? 
I think two things are, are happening. One is, is I think it's evolving. I think you're right. I don't think it's been like an on-off switch. I think it's more like a, of a gradual development. But I think you're really going to start to see it in consolidation. Uh, I think that uh, as buyers speak to the marketplace about uh, reasons for an acquisition or the merits of an acquisition, I think they're going to talk a lot more about, about funding and core deposit acquisition. Sure. You know, I, I can buy a billion, $2 billion franchise if I'm a sizable community bank at a 5 to 7% deposit premium. And if I, if I balance that against trying to go generate that sort of organic deposit growth, that math still seems to work pretty darn good. Uh, yep, that is true. And I think, but I think that the deposit acquisition, when you're buying a whole company, though, still needs to fall into the overall framework, which is uh, a study of accretion to your shareholders uh, and and what type of cost savings or synergies do you have to assume to get to that accretion, and then also the tangible book value earned back. I think that those those metrics haven't gone away, even though I think that the interest in deposits is going to grow. Um, they still need to talk about the acquisition inside those broader guard, financial guardrails. Absolutely. You know, you talked about commercial or retail, uh, um, a strong deposit franchise is not being limited to one or the other. You know, what are some of the, the attributes you know, your firm looks for in terms of uh, assessing the quality of, of a deposit franchise? You know, who who do you think will be sort of the, the stickiest uh, as rates move higher? Well, I'll tell you, we just look for the core funded, the banks that have got a very stable uh, core client base, those banks who've done it well for a long period of time, uh, and those banks who've been able to gather deposits that weren't rate sensitive to begin with. So there are some commercial banks around the country that still have de minimis deposit costs. Um, and one company, I'll just say, if someone wanted to go look into it, go go read the 10Q for Cullen Frost, for example. That's a commercial bank that's been doing this for a long time. They've got an excellent deposit base. I actually did that exercise myself recently because I just wanted to refresh myself on it. And and you'll see just the, the metrics of a, of a very well-run bank that's got a strong client network and a very low cost of uh, deposits. And what you'll see, I believe, is over time that will benefit the franchise as we go into a higher rate environment. Well, and they're the Frost, you know, they're a franchise that, if I'm not mistaken, they were the the one bigger bank to make it through the Texas crisis in the in the late 80s. And I'm sure their their depositor base remembers that. Uh, you know, I, I've I've often thought and argued that loyalty will be a big driver of of uh, how rate sensitive a franchise is and. And that's one that's been around and has one of the stronger names, I feel like, in Texas. Yeah, I think the banks that have had a strong deposit network for some time are going to be the ones that are best positioned. So, you know, I want to flip back to, to the investment community. And, and, you know, you talk to folks all, all across the buy side. You know, what do you think folks are not appreciating enough right now, if there is one thing? It, and, and that's what I wanted to leave listeners with. I mean, is it simply that we are not focusing enough on the good, like you said? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, sometimes investors may we, – we may get too focused on a particular metric, but I think we have to remember that it all needs to roll up 
into a result, an operating result. And I still think that right now we've got 10% uh, earnings per share growth in our estimates. Uh, we're looking for another Fed rate move in December. We're looking for two more next year and then one more in 19. We're a little bit more cautious in our modeling than, than the Fed projections might be, or at least the expectations in the dot plot. Uh, but if we, if for every 25 basis point rate increase that we don't get, let's just say for round numbers, you take a percentage and a half out of our earnings per share growth. So right now we've got low double digit earnings estimates for this year and then a little bit higher for next year. But if we don't get that and we're high single digits for the industry, that still is, I think, a very good outcome. That's a, an outcome where banks will continue to raise dividends. They'll continue probably to repurchase shares depending on their stock price. I think it's a, a pretty good environment for investors. That's number one. Number two is that investors may not entirely realize is the shift that I, we think is going to occur towards the largest banks in the nation. For the first period of time and some time, we've been more positive on the global SIFIs than we have had on a typical uh, regional bank. And the reason being is that we think that these global SIFIs have the most to benefit from, uh, from changes that are on the horizon. Um, as the new uh, regulators are seated in Washington, uh, there'll be an opportunity to recalibrate uh, regulation. Uh, and none of the Dodd-Frank rules uh, have been reviewed yet, and even Barney Frank has been calling for their review. Uh, and I think what will happen is that there will probably be a determination that the American banks, which are now held to tighter standards than the international standards, you may see some changes. And if that happens, uh, they will benefit more than the regional banks. Um, and that, I think, would have a positive impact on the economy and certainly a positive impact on those companies. And that's been part of the underlying theme uh, that has been driving some of our recommendations uh, in that space. We actually don't have any of that benefit in our earnings estimates yet for those companies. So that really is blue sky with regards to the big global CIFIs. And that leveling of the playing field, you know, not only reduces expenses and potentially capital standards, but, I mean, the competitive landscape. All of a sudden, they can compete even more aggressively with some of their foreign counterparts. So uh, I, I think that would be material. Well, that's right. That's that's all the time we have today. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. Uh, really appreciate hearing the thoughts. Nathan, good to be with you. Thank you.